0: Hi, I'm Anna McEwen, and this is the Epic Narrative. And now, my dad, Bob Switzer. I uh I, I I hope you caught last week. And I guess if you didn't, I'm gonna talk more about it because it just it keeps rattling around in my head. But this story, we see it's remember that these stories are indicators about a life you know about lives so the life the life of amnon was one of of selfishness and arrogance and domination and control he he just he wasn't a good guy and then and then of course uh, you know tamar i i just i i'm wrecked for her She's probably between the age of 15 you know 13 to 15 years old, which I know technically in in our culture would be horrible to be married at that young. Uh, and I personally uh, I advocate, you know for the end of, of human trafficking and sex slavery. I just think that's like that's just horrific. It's horrific. It's worse than the pandemic. It's way worse. It's 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 just bad. Sorry, I won't head down that road. But we can talk about it some other time if you want to ask me. <clears throat> but in the culture of the Middle East, uh, you were considered, um, you, you just matured sooner. That's just what was expected of you. You were not, this whole teenage world that um, many in Western culture live in, was kind of created by the western culture. Most cultures don't have a teenage world where you have like little to no responsibility and everything is given to you. You know, your education, your experiences, your vacations, all that stuff. It's just a it's just something we created. So it's hard sometimes to read that or hear that and think you know, and think within the culture of the moment, but she was she would have been considered of marriable age she would have been considered uh she probably knew that somewhere soon she would be a wife and then and then she's raped and she does everything right she she tries to reason with him she she resists him and then even after it's done she's still advocating for a righteous way out of this to say listen don't kick me out of your house at least if you keep me here we can get married, it can. we can still fix this and he throws her out anyway. And then she lives the rest of her life in exile, which is bizarre. She, she's, she's just, she loses everything. All of her hopes of being honorably married are gone. All her hopes of being a mother are gone. She no longer can wear the the robes of the young virgins uh, in David's household. I'm sure she was invited to and maybe even occasionally would show up at large gatherings and festivals. Remember the Jewish calendar. (laughs) The Jewish calendar is awesome in that every month there's a party, except the only one that doesn't is the Day of Atonement, and that's only a day. And then it ends the day of fasting, right? It ends with a party. So like God clearly was when he's, when he's speaking to and laying out his calendar, he wants his people to be a people of, of community, a people of happiness, a people of, of dancing and singing and drinking. And, and it's, it's an awesome calendar and they would have followed that calendar. So I don't know how, participatory tamar was in these sort of events i have a feeling her sisters came and talked to her i'm sure she had friends who came and consoled her but but she never marries and and uh lives it says she lives the rest of her life in uh you know there in absalom's house in disgrace it's uh, a desolate woman it's described it's it's a nuanced word that um she never fully recovers. And Absalom, right, we're introduced to him. Like his response is crazy because he clearly is a patient man who carries bitterness deeply. He carries offense deeply. And his his whole thing, it says uh, Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he disgraced uh, Tamar. So here's a man who who has uh like he, huh, he would have been like a great poker player. He carried his emotions and I don't think emotions are bad, but he carried them inside. He didn't he didn't let them out. He was he was this is this is a depth of deception. That's what this is. So we get a picture of Absalom that he is somebody who carries hatred, bitterness and offense. He carries it deep and and he carries it for a long time. He, and he deceives people because he doesn't say anything to Amnon. And like I said uh, yes uh, last week, I would imagine Amnon was pretty nervous the first time all the brothers got together in a, in a room or in the courtyard. He probably expected Absalom to come to him and say something. He said nothing. He just didn't talk to him. And I'm sure he had enough brothers and cousins and uncles et cetera around. He didn't need to. I'm sure Absalom was, man, he was the crown prince. He was gorgeous. Uh, he was incredibly distinctive in his in his mannerisms, in the way he carried himself, and and his looks, and everybody looked. Everybody was looking at him. And deep inside Absalom hated Amnon and and was plotting to kill him and that's where we pick up verse 23 two years later two years later he has been planning the death of Amnon for two years that's the type of deception that Absalom lives in I'm sure he laughed with his father and met with his father and hung out in council meetings. He was, he was being trained. He was being taught. He was, he went to worship. He came out of worship. He went to all the festivals. He was, he did everything he was expected to do. Everybody would follow him. His, he was, he's an amazing uh, actor. Two years later, when Absalom's sheep shearers were at Belhazah near the border of Ephraim, and he invited all the king's sons to come. And Absalom went to the king and said, your servant had shearers come, and will the king and his attendants please join me? And David's like, no, no, I can't really. All of us should not go. Uh, we would be uh, only a burden to you. Although Absalom urged him, he still refused, but he gave him his blessing. And Absalom said, well, if you will not, then let my brother Amnon come with us oh why would he want to go with you he's like oh i just really really would like him to come i just really think it'd be great if he came so absalom urged him and he sent with him amnon and the rest of the king's sons this is this is uh this is absalom he wanted David there because he wanted David to see that that Absalom Absalom is going to be a better disciplinarian of Amnon than David was. He's going to do to Amnon what David should have done. He believes that Amnon should have been put to dead, death for raping his sister and disgracing her for the rest of her life. And And David refused to go. He refused to go. He won you know. He he said, "I'll be a burden on you," which is somewhat true. And what he basically, you know, sheep shearing is a, again another time of festivities. It's another time of of uh, owners hanging out in the field with all of the workers and the shearers. That was a lot of them were almost. It was almost like migrant work, like you would. You would be a sheep shearer, which took some skill because it wasn't like they had buzz buzz clippers that uh, that they do now, and it still takes skill. I've seen them done; it's uh, it's pretty impressive. These guys that can shear sheep uh, electronically, and then I've seen the uh, the old style actual clippers, but even so, they're only old to me they're not ancient like they would be here. So this is a this is this is a skill to shear the sheep. And you would you would be hired and brought into these pens where all of the particular owner in this case Absalom, all of Absalom's livestock that he's been you know that he has as a as a royalty that's been given to him that constitutes his wealth and influence. All of his sheep are being herded into one area at this uh, this town, Bel Hazar, Hazor. All of them come in, and the sheep shears work, and they work all day. And then at night, there's there's a lot of food, a lot of drink, and everybody has a good time. And and it's uh it's just an excuse to get together. It's you know picture it like uh, like a Labor Day weekend or Memorial Day weekend. It's like hey. Here's another excuse to get together. Fourth of July, let's party. Like, well, let's have a bunch of people over. That's the type of of attitude that that uh, shearing season would bring, and people would be like, "Hey, great, maybe we'll get invited over this rich person's shearing party because you know they're gonna have great food and drink, and we can all celebrate and 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 look at how rich they are." That's another way that you know, another way of doing it. And honestly, some parties are like that too, right? People invite you over. And they just they they just throw great parties because they have good they have a lot of money. And in some ways they're just letting people enjoy the blessings that they have. They're good hosts. And Absalom was that type of person. Remember, he's incredibly deceptive. It's fascinating to me. Two years he did this, which probably means the that, that he can you know from, from the moment maybe not the moment. Well probably actually, from the moment that he's Holding Tamar, and he did he, you know, deduces from what she's saying and the weeping she's she's got and the and the ashes on her head. He deduces that he, she's been raped, and he knew it was Amnon. Now I don't know if she said something or if everyone kind of knew that he was he was falling in love with this this girl that he was had a crush on Tamar, uh, and Absalom being being the big brother might have been aware of the fact that she was asked specifically by Amnon to come to his house to make bread and in doing so he would have been aware that this making of the bread was actually an invitation to get to know her like there was there was probably something in his little in his senses and with the nuances of the Hebrew that that said all right he's inviting her over it's not really a date uh, but it's it would have been it would have been a curiosity thing so when she comes back from his home in ashes torn clothes he knows you know clearly something happened he says what you know did he rape you yes and 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 he immediately goes into deception this this kind of behavior doesn't happen overnight he's been he's been tra- he's been training himself he's been making choices for years to, to not show his emotions, to not let people know what he's thinking. To go along with the with the emotions of the day and the circumstances without letting people know what's going on internally. Now, I don't know if he got that advice from his mother. I don't know if he got it from advisors that, you know, the king's royalty need to keep their emotions uh, in check. But whatever it was, he immediately, immediately goes into deceptive mode. And he says, all right, don't let this bother you. Don't take this thing to heart. I need you to calm down because we can't let the whole world know what happened here. You know, the the people are going to hear you wailing and crying and they're going to see me hugging you. This is, uh, I, I need to get control of the circumstances so I can drive the results. And he waited, he waited for his dad to find out what happened. And David finds out what happened and David was heartbroken, but he didn't do anything. He just he just let it ride. And like I said last week, I don't know why. Cuz he was furious. But he couldn't he couldn't bring himself to call Amnon in and even yell at him. He did nothing. So from Amnon's perspective, he has to be thinking everybody's good with this. I raped a woman. No one's gonna. No one's coming after me. Dad's not doing anything. I'm sure he waited, you know, maybe a week, and then he figured out this. I'm good. What I did is acceptable. What I did is fine. I'm guessing that his friend, his cousin Jonadab, was was pretty uh, pretty happy with his plan too. And Amnon's like, uh, Jonadab probably showed up later on that day and said, Hey, how'd it go? And he was like, Man. Uh, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't as good as I thought. She, she resisted. She didn't think I was, you know, she wanted me to marry her. <laughs> Ridiculous. I actually, I don't think I like her at all. Jonah Deb's probably like what? Yeah, man. He goes, dude, you were, you were sick over her. I know. I don't know what I was thinking. She's a jerk. She's kind of ugly. I don't like her. Cause it says he hated her. After he raped her, he hated her with more hatred than with the love he had before he raped her. And I'm sure, as I as I tried to cover last week, his whole motive in raping her was, she's going to fall in love with me, and we will be an amazing couple together, because all, all I need to do is, is have sex with her, and she's going to be so impressed with me. Oh, man. Sorry. Oh yes, we need to move on in the story, Bob. You, I know, I know, but I, 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 I wanted to get those nuances. That the life, the the what we're seeing is a, is a lifestyle of these guys. The deception of Absalom is a lifestyle. Two years later, he's having the sheep shearers are coming, and I have a feeling he he knew he was going to kill Ammon if his dad didn't do anything and his dad didn't do anything so he started to plan and he was like okay i need to get Ammon, amnon oh, away or or maybe not like maybe he's thinking this needs to be public this needs to be now this needs to be in the dark like do i go do you know do i sneak in at night slit his throat do i cut off his wing ding make him eat it i don't know i mean this Ammon uh, is angry and full of hate and deception. And I'm sure there were creative ways that people had dealt with rapists before. And he waited. And And then I have a feeling like a year prior, he thought about the sheep shearing. And while he was there, he's looking around and he's like, this actually would work really well. This this would be good. Yeah. And then he started thinking, all right. Let's see who who should be here. Well, I need to teach Dad a lesson. I need to show him his weakness. I need to show the world or at least a group of people out here. I need to show them that my father is not the is not the leader he should be. Now, I think, I really think he was thinking this direction because of what he does later on in life. Years later. I just, I don't think this, you know, I I don't, I don't think his, his uh, taking over of the, of the palace, which happens years later, I don't think that started, you know, just, just on a whim. It's been cultivated, whether through pride or through, personal counselors he had or friends that he had. Internally, he just kept banging away at his his mental drum that my father is not as good of a king as he could be. He has flaws. He has weaknesses. And this is one of them. And I need to show the world that he is weak. I'm going to kill Amnon in front of him because of what he did to Tamar. And the fact that he did nothing to protect my sister nothing and, and of course the the virgins and family the royal family and especially the virgins were representations of the nation and all the women of the nation and the fact that david didn't protect her would have been an indication that david could not protect the nation like it was a it was a, a in christianese we'd call it a prophetic sign that David was a weak at defending the weak and the innocent and the pure and when the when that innocence is taken he does nothing to discipline or dis, or or put to death those who stole the innocence and purity of those innocent and pure oh yeah Absalom had layers Layers of offense that he had built up against his father, and I think he he planned out his his attack and he waited another whole year because it it worked like it worked in his mind. He was like, I could have them all out. We could have a big party. No one's going to be you know suspect. And then he he had to plan out his escape because he knew if he kills his his brother, and he does it publicly. He can't just go back home. So he starts making arrangements to go back to his maternal grandfather, who was king over a small kingdom about 80 miles away in a place called uh, Gersher, something along that line. And there he is. He puts together the plan. Now he needs some help. So verse 28. He ordered his men. Listen, when Amnon is high in spirits from drinking wine, and I say to you, strike Ammon down, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Haven't I given you this order? Be strong and be brave. So Absalom's men did to Ammon what Absalom had ordered. Then all the king's sons got up and mounted their mules and ran, and they fled. So everything, you know, uh, he he speaks to the servants. I don't think he spoke to them like in the moment. Because it would have looked obvious, all his brothers are like they all show up. It's not a it's not like a a line of individuals. They show up. they have their servants, they have at least a couple of attendants each. they bring their they bring some food like you would to any celebration. they bring some drink, they bring uh, maybe a you know uh, a gift or a game. like there was just it was the idea that hey, all the brothers are getting together for a party. Dad's not coming, but all of us are going to be there. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. It's at Absalom. Absalom's the w- richest one around, the best-looking one. Like we're, He's he's invited all of us to be there. We should go. This is important. This is fun. This is going to be a good time. And they all show up, and they're all watching, and they're all drinking and, and eating and having a good time. And the servants were already in on the plan, the ones who were going to kill him. And he probably had had already paid them in in advance or at least made them aware of where the money was because they, they're not going to be able to, to go home either. And he says, so Absalom's men did to Ammon what Absalom said. So he waited. I, again, you're talking about deception. You're talking about internal hate. You're talking about somebody who probably looked like he was drinking a lot but wasn't. He always had a cup in his hand, and he's laughing, and he's cheering, and he's, you know, toasting, and and all the brothers are having a good time. I've I've three sons and and a daughter. You put all the siblings in the in the room together, and good times just start happening. Conversations start happening, jokes start happening, they start laughing, and they start telling stories about their, because you know, we don't all live near each other, and that would have been true for these guys. They didn't all live on top of each other. They didn't. They didn't all share a room they all had many of them already had families they had jobs that that put them around the various nation whether they were priests or worshipers or or um overseeing certain uh, markets i mean it was they just had a good time and absalom watched and he waited he waited for amnon to get high in spirits from drinking wine so I don't know what time of night this is because alcohol hits people at different different levels, but I'm guessing it's dark. But probably not too late because because Absalom knows he has to he has to flee, he has to head in a different direction. He's got an 80 mile trip to get to his uh, grandfather's house. Now the reason why all the brothers were there, but specifically, specifically Absalom had asked for the firstborn Amnon. I mean, he asked for Amnon specifically because Amnon was at that point, the firstborn and the crown prince. Amnon was the next uh, in line to be king. So uh, all the way back, I'm sorry. Just, just, I just, you can't, I don't think you can overstate the deception. He invites David. He makes David feel wanted. He makes David feel welcomed. He makes sure David's okay for Amnon to be there, representing the crown. Like he's like, Okay, Dad, if you're not coming, can you can you send the crown prince? And all the other brothers would have been part of the part of the cover. He was like, I've I've invited everybody. All the brothers are coming. But, of course, the crown prince needs special permission from you for anything he does because he's the crown prince. So I'd like him to come. And David's like, yes, you know, I appreciate how much you love me and you wanted me there, but yes. Now, this, this town that they were at was 15 miles away. But it was 15 miles closer to where uh, Absalom was going to run. So that's part of his plan. It wasn't a random town. He picked up town that was actually going to put him 15 miles closer to his exile. Everyone's happy, but he waited until Amnon was especially happy. And I'm guessing Absalom, not out of the ordinary, but made sure that Amnon, the crown prince, was cared for and and given the best wine and constantly refilled and 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 the party uh, the the plan went forward. And he says to his servants, "Strike him down." Now I don't think he stood up and yelled the order. I think he probably called his man over or his men. And he's like, do it now. Maybe Amnon had you know when you when you get filled with alcohol, you get filled with often your filters are down. So if we've already determined that Amnon was a very prideful, arrogant, you know, expected compliance. He was he was the crown prince. He was he was whatever he was he was who he, you know who all that would be and I'm guessing when he had alcohol in him he was probably more of a jerk than usual and there he was ready to go he calls over his men kill him they walk up behind him and they killed him just as they'd been ordered and it says all the king's sons got up like they see what's happening they see the servants they see the servants come around Amnon and slit his throat well of course all of them believe they're under attack all of them believe that they're next like 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 they don't know they don't know Absalom's in on it all they know is that the crown prince has been has been killed they're all princes as well so they all run including Absalom He's running, but you know he takes his mule and heads, the, heads a different direction. These guys flee. And while they were fleeing back, 15 miles in the dark, while they're fleeing back, report comes to David. Absalom has struck down all the king's sons. Not one of them is left. Now, I don't know who ran this in and got there before everyone else did. I don't know how David gets this report. But it comes fast. if the If the king's sons are on mules, maybe this guy had a horse and just just took off. I don't know. But word comes to David that Absalom killed everyone. David tears his clothes, he starts to cry. He's laying on the ground. His attendants also hit the ground. They're devastated. All the king's sons are dead. The whole realm is now going to be in jeopardy. Everything that David has built is going to be in jeopardy. But Jonadab, well, look who's back in the story. He comes up and he says, no, 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 my lord. Do not think that they all your all the princes are dead. Only Amnon is dead. For this has been Absalom's express intention ever since the day Amnon raped his sister Tamar. May the Lord, the King, should not be concerned about the report of all the king's sons are dead. Only Amnon is dead. Jonadab knew about this plan. That little weasel knew exactly what was going to happen, and he did nothing to stop it. All he did was observe. Cousin Jonadab, in the in all the I guess right places at the right time. He knew that this has been the plan from the day Tamar was raped, because David did nothing to the crown prince. Crazy that Jonadab knew about this. Now maybe maybe. You know, within the culture of family and, and offense and, uh, you know, because Joab, the the general, right, he felt the same way. He was like, you know, his brother was killed even in an act of war. His brother was killed and he wanted to exact revenge for his brother. The, the family revenge uh, motif of this culture is very strong but it doesn't always get acted on it's just it's an offense that gets held for sometimes for generations in america we have you know an old story called you know the Hatfield and McCoy like it's it's this old generational offense that occurs uh shakespeare right the uh in romeo and juliet the the two families have been at war with each other for years so family offenses were things that often were held on to, but not always uh, moved on. You just held on to this offense. You held on to this, to the right moment to bring it up and to let everyone know, I have not forgiven you yet. So Jonadab maybe had heard from from Absalom or heard from Absalom's servants or, or observed or somehow Absalom had let this out or indicated That he had an offense that he was holding against against him. Now, I know it seems weird because he seems like he's so deceptive and, and calculating and cold. But he had to have let enough people know about what was going on so he could pull it off. And Jonadab was one of those people who knew he knew about the whole plan. Because when he sees because he isn't at the party, he's at the palace, and the word comes in that everybody's dead, and Jonadab knows immediately, no 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 no, that wasn't the plan. That's not the plan. No, Absalom only killed Amnon because he raped Tamar. Like like he sees the devastation of David. He sees the the devastation of all of David's attendants. And and what does he want? Well his main his main job in life was to be the to be the hero, to be the one that everybody needed around them. So information was key to Jonadab. He collected information. He he picked up on rumors. He found gossip. He had informants. He had servants that kept an eye out for things. Jonadab was was quite the character. And in the in the realm of like a movie, you you can picture, you know, there's characters you just know would fit this. And so he comes in and he's now the hero, right? He's the comforter. He's the one that David now needs around him. And he puts his he goes running in and he probably, you know, kneels down next to David and he puts his hand on him. He's like, David, don't worry. David, it's okay. It's okay. Absalom only killed Amnon. Your sons are all alive. He he only killed them. He's been he's been talking about this for a couple of years. Since Tamar was raped, he's wanted to kill the crown prince everybody knew this like he's like don't I you know I'm I'm sorry now the man standing watch saw all these people on the road running you know the dust is coming up the moon is out uh, the the way that the way that roads were ideally made coming into a, a city like this especially capital city the the, the all visual Uh, impairments would have been removed for miles so that the people on the towers could see what was coming. They could see dust. They could see, uh, you know, if, if it wasn't dusty, they could tell these are people walking. These are people on horses. These are people on mules. These are like that was their job. And you would have maybe a mile or more of preparation if you saw something of of an emergency you could have time to close the gate you could have time to put uh guards in position to with arrows and and slings that sort of thing so he sees a big cloud of dust developing he knows that there's a group of people coming and he and he yells out I see men coming down from this side on the side of the hill I I see a group coming and Jonadab looks at David he goes see I told you I told you all your, all your sons are fine. It's happened just like I told you. I, I, I know exactly what happened. Absalom was fled. Ammon is dead. All your sons are fine. And as he's pleading and, and interacting with David, it says the sons start coming in and they're crying. They're like, Dad, you can't believe what happened. And everybody wept. Because the crown prince was dead, and Absalom, the tall, handsome, calculated, the the one that everyone looked up to, he was gone, and would be gone, forever, as far as anyone was concerned at this point. And David mourned for the loss of his son. He mourned many days. Not only was he the Crown Prince, but I think David was also mourning the fact that he was not the father that he could have been. he was mourning the fact that that he had let his his replacement his Crown prince as they as they would have been known if if it was gonna follow the line that it was supposed to follow, he was next to line. I don't think I don't think it was required. As long as you had a son, a family member that would take over, that was all that all that was required. The king just had to. If the king didn't name the next king, then the next one in line would have been nat. It would have been crowned like the elders. The nation would have just automatically gone to who was next in line. But but a king could also name the next king as long as uh, you know technically as long as it was a a son he could name his replacement. And I think David mourned all of that. He mourned the fact that Absalom, this handsome, stunning, brilliant young man, had taken into his hands killing of his brother. I mean, as much as David had uh, been rejected by his brothers, he, he had never sought to kill them he only sought to reunite the family as much as David uh, understood the pain that Absalom might have been feeling when when nothing happened to Amnon he also he also mourned the fact that Absalom didn't come to him and say dad you have to do something so David again was reminded I'm not I haven't been the father I need to be I haven't I, you know, I didn't give him any way out. I didn't discipline Amnon. I didn't, I didn't train Absalom in the ways that he should have gone. Like, yes, he was at the at the worship sets, and yes, he's been at the festivals. But I never really taught him how to move with God and how to how to connect with God. I mean, I I made it available. I told him, you know, to meet with the priest or get together with Nathan, but. I mean, there was so much that David, I'm sure, mourned over all of this. And Absalom went his 80 miles. No one pursued him. He traveled, I'm guessing, traveled light. Maybe even brought the servants who had cut cut the uh, eminence throat. And he stayed there three years. Now, it makes note of that. King David longed to go to Absalom for he, he was consoled concerning Amnon's dead death. So that last verse, Absalom flees, he goes to Gershur, where, like I said, it was his maternal grandfather. It, it throws out there that he was there for three years and the whole time David wants to bring him back, but he can't because of what he did. David wants to do it, but he can't, because he killed the crown prince like how how can I just say, you know, come back home, son this is this is uh this is a dilemma that becomes well known in the in the culture of the of the kingdom. it can, becomes really well known in the culture of the palace and so I, I need to i need I need you to like remember this. All the way back to Bathsheba, which now is four years ago, if I did my math right. David had brought great offense to a very prominent family in the the palace. Ahithophel, his most trusted counselor, had been looking for a place that he could start Bringing about the downfall of David, because what David did was inexcusable as a king. Uh, Bathsheba's father was also offended by what David did, and even though Bathsheba bore another son, and it was, you know, named Solomon, and David loved Bathsheba and favored her. That was nice for the father to see, but but David had caused a riff. and I believe Ahithophel was observing all of this, and he saw the rape of Tamar, and he watched David's lack of discipline for the crown prince, and he and and he watched Absalom, and he's and he probably picked up on some of the rumors that Absalom wanted to kill Amnon. And he might not have known the the all the dirt that that he actually had made plans and actually was going to kill him, but he knew that there was a hatred there, a bitterness there, a a calculated coldness in the life of Absalom that would have made Ahithophel uh, alert. He would have he would have noted it because it would have given him as a counselor. He would have known all right. I have access. I, if I can manipulate that hate, I can use it against David. And then Amnon gets killed and he, and Absalom runs to exile. And because of what we know happens later, there's no way that what happens later happens without Ahithophel's years of plotting. Years of of calculated information and meetings that he had all around the country with all the various elders of the of the national of, of the nation. This is this is uh this is a big deal for these next three years. And I don't know if it's during this time, but but I'm I'm thinking it is that he, this is this, you know, during this time he lets Bathsheba know that. Solomon is going to be his choice to replace him because that becomes a known fact. And I don't know when he started to say that, but I think Nathan picked up on that as well. And I don't know if he told Nathan or if Bathsheba told Nathan, but both Nathan and Bathsheba are clearly aware that David had promised Solomon the throne. So Absalom's in exile. And Ahithophel starts laying the groundwork for his return and overthrow of the father. And this takes, I mean, he has to be so careful. That's why I think it took three years. And the whole time, Ahithophel keeps an eye on David, and David keeps wanting to bring Absalom home. He keeps wanting to do it. So Ahithophel knows, like this is a weakness in David. As much as David wasn't a great father, he he was desperate for for family because he didn't have one growing up. He wanted the brothers to be united. He He wanted them all together, like in the family. And Absalom had done a horrible thing and ran to exile and yet there was and there was nothing David could do to bring him back and Ahithophel saw that as a weakness it didn't have to be but that's that's the way Ahithophel saw it he knew how to manipulate that pain in David to keep him weak he knew how to he knew that he could manipulate the hate and bitterness of Absalom to move him toward an overthrow and he could use the whole situation with Bathsheba and with Tamar as a way to start putting doubt in the elders' minds and the leaders of, of the of the various tribes around the nation, he could put doubt in, in their minds regarding David's leadership of the nation, and that maybe David was too old, maybe David had gotten too weak emotionally. And couldn't make the right kind of decisions that the nation would need in order to move forward. this is this is really I think it's really important in the in this epic narrative to 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 remember this. you can't you can't just read the story, the words that are on the paper and be like, "Well, that's what happened because what happened next is also really important. And somehow, in all of this, I think Ahithophel started to manipulate uh, even people in the military. I don't think he told them, "Listen, I've got a plan to overthrow David." He just manipulated them to do things and say things that would bring David, uh, make David continually mourn for Absalom, to make him uh, to to play on his pain. And continue to keep him weak, at least visually weak, so that he could continue the plot against him. Ahithophel is a brilliant counselor, and a wonderful uh, man. But if you carry offense, everything that God can use for good, the enemy can use against against you, and he, he can destroy you. People talk about that often, you know. Like there's there's people who's who in in their identity with God are amazing encouragers. But when they are not walking with the Lord, when they're not aware of God's goodness within them, they become amazing people at cutting other people down and criticizing. That's one of the you know one of the things that I try and keep in mind when when there's a lot of negativity around somebody, I think, "Okay, what is the exact opposite of this?" because that would be what God has actually called them to be if a person's you know always uh without hope i i know that god has actually gifted them to be somebody who can bring hope if i if i meet somebody who can never be at peace they're constantly agitated they're constantly having issues and stress i know that the lord has has given them a spirit of peace that is that is designed to bring peace everywhere they go. But the what does the enemy do? The enemy comes in to steal, kill, and destroy. If I see somebody who's, who's sad, who just can't find any happiness in life, I know that internally they're designed to carry joy. And if they become aware of God's goodness within them, they will carry joy to all who are around them. And I can go on and on and on. I don't, I don't, I'm telling a story, I'm not, you know. I could preach too, <laughs> but you get the picture. And I think Ahithophel was a wise, creative, amazing counselor, but bitterness gave the enemy access and Ahithophel lost the awareness of God's presence. And he just started to plot and he saw David as weak and he saw David as replaceable and he saw an opportunity for his strong, handsome uh, dominating personality in uh, in Absalom and he said let's I, I've got the perfect replacement and he's he's related to David like he's a son of David so like the the line of David won't be broken and the the house of David will be remain will remain but we need a new king we need somebody we can trust somebody who can lead us somebody who's strong somebody who will discipline when when you know when somebody in the royal family rapes somebody else he'll be disciplined they're not going to be left alone he's not he's going to be disciplined he's not going to go around and and steal other people's wives and rape them and commit adultery and i would not be surprised if during this whole time Ahithophel and the wisdom he was giving David was more Um, I'll say common rather than rather than amazing, because often when you give yourself into bitterness and the enemy starts, you know, takes that access road, that on ramp into your life, he's not happy till everything's destroyed. And I wouldn't be surprised if Ahithophel's wisdom that he would get from heaven wasn't wasn't quite as amazing as it always had been, but he had such an amazing reputation that. You know that it was still good. I'm not saying that he turned into an idiot. But he was working. He was working deep undercover at this point. And we'll pick up. We'll pick up next week. Cause it the plot oh this plot goes all over the nation. And that doesn't happen overnight, even though technically it's just the next chapter. But this plot is uh is brilliant. It's brilliant. And was not an idiot, even if he was being influenced by the enemy at this point. All right. Have yourself a great day, everyone. Thanks for stopping by. And uh, let's talk some more next week. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.